Hey guys, Jesse Newell, KU Beat Rider here. It's no surprise, this is my favorite guest of the entire year, every single year. Ken Pomeroy, the founder of KenPom.com, an advanced stats expert. We go over why he likes KU so much in his preseason rankings, or why his numbers do, that is. Uh, why the Big 12 is still rated at the top. Some surprise teams in the Big 12, why West Virginia is rated so high, and then we'll get to some other discussions, including the Elam ending. He disagrees with me on that. And then also what he likes about college basketball and some of the things that he would like to see fixed before also talking about his new podcast that's out there. So uh, stay tuned for this conversation with my favorite guest, Ken Pomeroy. Happy to welcome back on the Sports BKC podcast, my favorite guest, as most of you know, Ken Pomeroy, the founder of KenPom.com. Ken, how you doing? I'm doing great, Jesse. It's great to uh, be back on the podcast. It means the season's around the corner, so uh, things are pretty exciting. Yeah, it, it was great. And actually, I went to contact you through Twitter, and uh, what was great about that is I pulled up some of our old messages. And uh, I don't know if you saw the same thing, but there was one from a few years back where I said, uh, let's see, let, let me pull it up. It was something to the effect of, hey, at lunch today, Bill Self said he believed that Ken Palm was my idol. I la- laughed and told him it was the truth. So um, it was it was bringing back good memories back from uh, when I went ahead and, and looked up our old messages. And, and that really is the truth. That's a, that's a true story that uh, that has happened at the Outfield House uh, Media Room. So uh, that's something that... Uh, that's good to know, I guess, um, that, that, that coaches now know that, uh, that you're out there. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I don't know what, what's more of an honor, that I'm your idol or that Bill Self dropped my name. I guess. <laughs> it's <close> call. <laughs> yeah, it probably both of them. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about the Big 12. We're going to talk about uh, Kansas and uh, your preseason rankings that just came out this week, Ken. And I guess we'll start with Kansas. I, you know, a lot of people and a lot of the rankings out here have Kansas at number one. So I don't think that's much of a surprise. I've seen it uh, with Basketball Times, you know, AP. Uh, a lot of different ones out there have KU number one. But when I pulled up your preseason rankings and saw the adjusted efficiency margin on there, Kansas is number one by a pretty good margin. So I just wondered if you could take us through that and uh, what you see from the numbers with Kansas and why is it that your system uh, not only has Kansas number one, but has Kansas number one by a pretty good margin? Yeah, I mean, the you know, the system, uh, first of all, it's kind of built uh, with a lot of inertia in it. So, you know, if you're a program that has been really good the last three years, uh, you're probably going to be ranked really well in the preseason unless you've just, you know, your roster has been decimated or you had a coaching change or something like that. Um, so when it comes to like the, the baseline, uh, that we start with, uh, you know, like Villanova has the best baseline coming into this year. Um, you know, having, you know, finished number one in my ratings, two of the three, last three years and second, mm-hmm. the other, year. um, but after that, it's, uh, it's like a close call. I think between Kansas and UVA for like second. So the, so Kansas already starts at a, at a pretty high spot. And then, you know, they're not, they obviously have some losses from last year, but, um, you know, they're bringing back a, you know, decent amount of production. And then they're also adding, you know, two, uh, you know, impact players uh, in Lawson and Grimes. And so, uh, so you, you know, you just add that on to kind of like a, a very high baseline and no other team can really uh, match that heading into this season. You know, the other, you know, typical teams with the good recruiting classes like Duke and Kentucky obviously have, losses in their in their lineup and their baseline isn't as strong particularly Kentucky um so uh so it's you know it's a little bit of a perfect storm for for Kansas it's rare for a a team that uh has had the success they've had in recent seasons to be bringing back some guys and also be adding you know some uh, quality players as well 
Yeah, and, and I, you kind of spoke to it too, but it's it's sort of fascinating the roster building that happens with this Kansas team because you can talk about a Duke, uh, a team that's built on freshmen like or Kentucky. Uh, you could talk about a of Nevada or a Villanova that's built on you know three and four year players, uh, and you can talk about uh, I'm sorry, a team like Nevada that's built on on tra- or sorry, let me go back Gonzaga and Nevada built on transfers. Villanova built on four-year players. But, you know, KU kind of has that nice mix of all of them where you can look at them and say, hey, they've got some three- and four-year guys, they got some talented freshmen, McDonald's All-Americans, and they got some big-time transfers. So they kind of combine all those things into one, and you can kind of see why they might be uh, the favorite with some of these uh, sorts of rankings, not only the human ones, but maybe the the uh, computer ones as well. Yeah, no question. I mean, it's always, you know, it's I don't think people quite appreciate how difficult it is to kind of uh, – prognosticate at the beginning of the season and how much uncertainty there is but um you know certainly if there is a safe choice for a team to be a, a one seed at the end of the season it seems like uh you know kansas uh, leads the way right now let's go into the two factors too that you have on here um you know the, the adjusted offense the adjusted defense and i think the number that surprised me the most wasn't kansas number one but that projected defense is number one uh, for KU. So can you take us into maybe some behind the scenes with that? What all goes into that number and what do the numbers like about Kansas heading into this year, especially when it comes to the defensive end? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, kind of interesting, obviously, given the, uh, you know, the down year that, that Kansas had defensively last season. Um, but, you know, really it's kind of similar uh, similar ingredients. You know, essentially the, the, the preseason ratings are, are separate models, basically. Models for the offense and models for the defense. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, so you know, even though, uh, you know, Kansas didn't have it necessarily a great year last year, uh, the previous two seasons are, are pretty good. And, you know, you still have those principles of bringing a lot of guys back and, um, you know, basically um, – you know, having the two impact players, but also it, the defense is that the defensive rating is actually influenced by previous off uh, the previous year's offensive rating. Mm-hmm. So, you know, typically teams that have that large disparity, that disparity will uh, close up. So, you know, with Kansas being fifth in offense and 47th in defense, like, you know, they're probably not going to have that disparity this year. That should even out a little bit more. And so the defense is, you know, almost surely going to be uh, significantly better, you know, whether it'll be first or not, it's hard to say. But, you know, the interesting thing about the ratings is, like, the preseason ratings, they tend to not deviate too much. Like, they t- you tend to not see an imbalance in a lot of forecasts um, simply because it's kind of hard to, you know, distinguish, like, hey, is this team going to be just really super offensive dominant or super defensive dominant? Like, it's really hard to predict that at the beginning of the year. And so um, I- I'm surprised as well that actually, you know, ranked number one ahead of Virginia. But, um you know, it stands to reason that they should have a, a top 10 defense given all the talent that they have on the roster. Yeah, it's going to be a different year for them. And uh, it's crazy to think that last year, you know, the worst rebounding team that Bill Self has ever had, unquestionably at Kansas. And this honestly could be the best one. I mean, you look at the, the changeover and you add to Udoka inside, you have Diedrich Lawson, you have KJ Lawson, you have David McCormack in there, and then you add maybe a, you know, Quentin Grimes who can do some things. So, yeah, I could definitely see how this team could get back to some of those defensive dominating teams by Bill Self. But as you said, I was a little surprised for like a Virginia where you just think of them as defensive-minded. And, and if we're, you know, if we're, looking at this, you know, KU's at 87.2, Virginia's at 87.3. You mentioned it. This is a preseason ranking. This isn't going to be exact. You're, you're doing the best with what you have here. Uh, still surprising, though, because uh, for Kansas, if, if that sort of thing happens, if KU is a top five defensive team, uh, wow, I really think this could be a special season for them. I mean, not that 
people aren't thinking that already. I, I thought I picked them preseason number one, but uh, you know I still had some questions about their defense. But if if they can guard that well, then uh, you really could see a team that uh, would be favored maybe in every single one of their games. Yeah, which kind of you know I gotta kind of take a, a, a sidetrack here and just mention the awkward situation that I might be in. Uh, after opening night, obviously, you know, Kansas being rated so well, and obviously the preseason ratings carry an enormous amount of weight very early in the season. So uh, if Kansas were to lose to Michigan State, uh, they would still probably be rated first unless they lose by a lot. They'll still be rated first in my system and be 0-1. So uh, hopefully the Jayhawks can uh, can pull that out and at least save uh, save me a little bit of embarrassment early in the season. <laughs> well, that's all right, Ken. I... Oh, it, it, it kind of changes the way I do rankings, honestly. You know, it's my second year doing the AP poll, and um, I... I from using your rankings and you know looking at computer ones like Sagarin and then Bart Torvik has um, some interesting ones over at his site too. Uh, it just kind of changes the way you think about basketball, and, and I I'm sure you probably do this as well. But I, for me at least, I kind of think of things more on a spectrum. And I know I got called out uh, on Gary Parish's poll attacks in the very first week last year. Uh, I'd have to remember the game. I know West Virginia was in it. It was the game over on the Germany Air Force Base. Um, but uh, it, it was yep. Texas A&M versus West Virginia. Yep. And, uh, and and West Virginia, if I remember right, just got ran out of the gym. Uh, Correct. It was like a 3 a.m. game. And so uh, I think I had West Virginia preseason like 10 and A&M like 20. And I was one of the highest on A&M. And it was one of the few games that happened that week. And so the next poll I had West Virginia like 13 and A&M 15. And immediately pull attacks, and immediately people saying, "What the heck are you doing? You're an idiot!" What? What? They just won the game, you know, by twenty, whatever. How could you have them ranked behind them? And um, again, for me, it's just like, hey, this, these games are one sample out of a hundred that could have happened. And sometimes things go bad. Sometimes things things don't go your way. But I, I just can't let the head to head get in my head, if that makes any sense, by one random sample when we know it's going to be 30, 35 games on the line. I, I don't know how much attention, probably not much, Ken, that you pay to football, but right now, uh, for example, Texas is ranked ahead of Oklahoma in almost every single poll, when in the computer polls it's the complete opposite, and it, gets, it just kind of drives me crazy because it's like, I know Texas beat Oklahoma, but eight weeks into the season we don't have to be using that head-to-head like it's gospel because it was one result and it was a three-point game so i'll step off of my soapbox but do you kind of find yourself at at the same thing like you said maybe not cheering for kansas but sort of cheering for kansas so that you don't get this list of 500 emails going to you to say (laughs) hey you're the biggest idiot in the world why is michigan state not above kansas here Yeah, I mean that happens. That's gonna happen anyway. You know, somewhere, somewhere in the in the list of 353 teams, that will happen uh, <laughs> early on. Yeah. My only my only other pet peeve with the rate, you know, the AP polls that like, you know, you're talking about a case where West Virginia they play a a quality team like that first, you know, that opening night or whatever it was, the first couple of days, and like the other teams behind them have probably played, you know, by games or whatever that yeah. you know they didn't challenge themselves, and so like West Virginia for playing a tough team, you know, if any of those other teams that play Texas A&M, they you know, might have lost as well. And just, so West Virginia, by challenging themselves, they, they get penalized and get dropped down the, the pole. And these other teams that, you know, could have played a non-D1 end up moving up. And uh, that's another thing that uh, kind of bugs me early in the season. Yeah, it was fascinating. West Virginia was a, a, a crazy sample case last year because uh, I'm sure you remember. So they lost that first game and then they go on this unbelievable run. Uh, yet in your rankings and a lot of the advanced ones out there, they were still kind of in that 7 to 12 range. So it went from the whole range of I got pull attacked for having West Virginia 
way too high at 12. And then, like, they were number two in the nation for one week, and I still had them at, like, seven <laughs> or eight, and I had West Virginia people coming at me. So it's just funny kind of the range of emotions that you go through with all these numbers. But um, I, I, I found it really fascinating. Uh, if you guys haven't checked it out yet, go check out Ken Palm, the Ken Palm podcast. Uh, it's brand new. You guys have been doing a great job on it. I really enjoyed listening to it and kind of what goes through your head and the, some of the things that you research. But, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, some of the things that, that, that pop in your head with that, but I, I really like the discussion on why the NCAA tournament system and the uh, the system that they use with the quadrants is going to be inherently unfair no matter really what system you use with it. And, and because it's rewarding uh, mostly the, the wins at the top and the losses at the bottom, but those mid-level wins are kind of thrown away. So I, I kind of feel like we're kind of getting at a deeper discussion here, but but sometimes that is what I feel like when I'm, I'm sort of relying on these overall rankings. And I'm trying to do my best to make sure I take all data into account rather than just cherry picking the best wins and oh they had the they didn't beat anybody on this end but 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 really you know computers can do this better than we can and so it, I guess at the end of the day we're just trying to do the best we can and try to give teams proper credit for what they're doing. Yeah, I mean I think there's some things that that humans can do better and honestly like I what I wish the AP poll was and this is not going to happen but I wish you know it was people like evaluating who the best team was because I do think humans are we are better at you know watching teams play and seeing like kind of seeing potential in teams um you know better than a, a computer can at this point but in terms of evaluating results and trying to you know simulate all the results that go on and properly evaluating home and road which people you know voters in the ap poll tend not to do um and you know valuing those wins over you know the 50 to 100 teams or the 100 to 200 teams uh, especially road wins um, you know, that's something that uh, certainly the humans on the, the selection committee uh, inherently struggle with and tend to, you know, disregard. Like, I mean, I think to me, like the simplest way to think about the selection process is, you know, the, the committee's basically looking at, you know, your five best wins and your five worst losses. And that's about what it comes down to. And if you're not playing any teams in the top 50, you know, your five best wins are not going to look very good and your five worst losses are going to look really bad. And that's why uh, teams that tend to dominate conferences with good, you know, kind of mid-level competition uh, tend to not get as much consideration as they deserve. I, I Let's get to this right now, Ken, because I know this is a discussion point, and this is something you have to sort of explain every year, too. Kansas is overwhelming number one team in your preseason rankings. Kansas, if you go to their schedule page, which you can do by subscribing to KenPom.com. We'll have more on that later. KenPom.com is where you can subscribe. But if you go down, uh, I'm on the page right now, Ken, and as far as I can scroll, there are W's on KU's page. Okay, so every game has a W next to it saying they are the projected winner. You go to the bottom, KU's projected record is 24-6, and six, and 14-4 in the conference. So let's go ahead and make that distinction now because I know people, and this is going to happen, they're going to see those Ws, they're going to count them all up, and they're going to say, Ken Palm says that KU is going undefeated this year. That's not how the numbers work, but so go ahead and just give us a quick primer of, of what's going on there and uh, why 24-6 and six at the bottom, uh, what, what's happening on your projection page there. Yeah, so, you know, the six losses basically accounts for the, the possibility of upsets, which uh, will inevitably occur. I mean, we know this because... No team has gone undefeated in, uh, uh, what are we up to now, 42 years? Long, um, a long time. Yeah, a long time. And uh, and there's undoubtedly been teams in Kansas' situation that were favored in all of their games. Although, you know, the game at Kentucky is probably a little iffy. And there may be a game ultimately in the Big 12, you know, road game that, that they're not favored in. But they're going to be favored in the vast majority of their games, if not all of them. And there's been teams like that before, and they obviously all – 
failed and lost. So, uh, so basically, you know, you think about it. I think the simple example is, you know, really exaggerated example, but you, you know, you play ten games and you're a fifty-one percent favorite in those ten games. Um, you know, you're, the chance of you going ten and zero in those games because you're just barely a favorite is actually very, very slim. Um, so even though you're a favorite in all those games, you're definitely not going to go ten and zero in them, and uh, you're actually most likely to go five and five because you're just a slim favorite and. A 49% underdog is going to win, going to beat you five out of ten times. So, uh, so it's basically accounting for that principle. And when you go through all the probabilities and take all the gimme games and take all the you know relatively difficult games, uh, you know, based on the data I have, Kansas is most likely to lose six heading into the Big 12 tournament. Yeah, and and to speak to that too, KU's schedule is loaded. I mean, compared to some of the other Power Five teams out there, KU normally plays a tough schedule. But yeah, just going up and down this, you know, Michigan State, Marquette. Uh, your schedule doesn't have Tennessee in there yet, but if KU wins and Tennessee wins in the NIT, those two will match up. Villanova at home at Arizona State, which we know the road games are tougher uh, because <laughs> they're true road games. And then the Big 12 slate, which transitions me nicely to the Big 12. Ken, you have been a proponent. You have spoke, spoken to this more than anybody else in recent years, how the Big 12, we all know Kansas has been dominant. We all know that the narrative out there is that this Big 12 can't be very good because Kansas wins it every single year. But we look again at your rankings this year in the preseason ones, and it seems like KU once again is, or I'm sorry, the Big 12 once again is a step ahead of the other conferences when it comes to uh, the average ranking. So uh, are, are you ready to go out and proclaim again that the, the Big 12 is most likely going to be the, the best conference again this year, despite the fact that, that KU has a great chance to win it? Yeah, that's always the hard one to, to debate, I think. It is a little weird that you know a conference where one team is continually winning it could be considered the best. Um, but, you know, you look at the average rating of all the teams, uh, you know, it's been, uh, what, four years running now that uh, the Big 12 has been the top rated conference in my system. And, you know, as I said, you know, the ratings have some inertia built in. So, I mean, naturally, when you see a conference has been the best four years in a row, it's going to spit out that it's going to be the best, you know, this year. Um, I, you know, the ACC could catch it. It wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me. Obviously, the ACC, I think, is stronger at the top. But it's always like you just it's just such a hard comparison to make because the ACC has, you know, 33% more teams. So, uh, you know, obviously they're going to have more good teams. They're also going to have more teams at the bottom that are bad. Um, so it's, it's always like, it's always challenging to compare conferences. And I think it is, one, that's one of those things too, that a computer is probably, you know, better suited to do than a human. Like just, you know, tell me what your criteria is for judging a conference and let the computer, you know, do that for all 32 conferences and we'll, uh, we'll figure out which one's the best. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, I do think the big 12 is a favorite to, to ultimately finish, uh, finish number one in my system but you know like I said I think the, the ACC is close and, and it wouldn't surprise me if, if they flip-flop this year yeah well and you look at the uh the preseason ranking at least for the big 12 teams 1 10 12 16 25 26 34 40 52 62 um so even people thinking you know okay uh, Oklahoma State might have a down year maybe they'll fall below that number but I mean that makes sense I there are no teams in there that's uh, when you're on the road in the Big 12, you're thinking, okay, just chalk that one up as a win. And we saw that last year with Kansas. Uh, Bill Self had never been swept in the Big 12 until Oklahoma State last year. And Oklahoma State was a team that, that didn't even make the NCAA tournament. So uh, when you're speaking to that, I, I think that's kind of something else you look at where, again, it's hard to measure teams. Some have 12, 10 teams, some have 12, some have 16. But uh, all you can do is all you can do. And the Big 12 really doesn't have a weak link, along with you know a lot of teams up there in the top 25-ish. I didn't want to get to the rest of the league because uh, it's kind of fascinating to me. You have Kansas going 14-4, and four, or your numbers have Kansas going 14-4 and four in the Big 12. And second place, West Virginia going 11 
and seven. It just seems that just seems about right to me. You know what I mean? Even if the Big Twelve is good, even if Kansas loses four, which I think a lot of fans would probably reject that notion right now because they think you know Kansas is preseason number one. Even if all that happens, uh, you're looking at KU with a three game margin just because uh, the Big Twelve most likely is going to eat its own again, and it's going to be very difficult to have a record much better than eleven and seven. Yeah, it'd be really interesting to like see. You know, I don't think there's any like betting lines out there for like conference wins, and it would be great to have something like that because I don't. That's basically what I'm setting here is like an over under for wins. You know, so mm-hmm. even though Kansas is the best team, like, or the computer thinks it's the best team, you know, there's obviously some scenarios where they won't be as good. You know, maybe they'll end up being the 15th best team. I mean, that's not likely, but it's possible. And if that's the case, you know, they could lose five or six in conference. Um, obviously, they could get through and lose one or two, or you know, conceivably go undefeated. Although you know, it obviously is uh, very rare in a power conference. But it, you know, Kansas has done it before. So, um, so uh, you know, I get the impression like my my forecast is maybe like it could be a l- slightly more aggressive. Like maybe the true over under for Kansas is you know three losses in conference or something like that. But uh, I think once you get past Kansas, it is a little murkier. Like it's hard to have a you know a whole lot of confidence in. West Virginia or, or Kansas State or whoever you think is going to be the, the second best team in the conference. It's hard to have a lot of confidence that they're, you know, going to win like 13 games in league. I mean, I feel like 11 or 12 is uh, pretty reasonable for, for whoever you think is the second best team right now. Yeah, and uh, the, the thing that doesn't go into account, which we've talked about so many years in a row, Ken, is KU just wins close games. And, and whatever you want to account that to, it's probably a little bit of, of everything, you know. Allen Fieldhouse probably gives them a bump with fouls, you know, and, and, and when the close games happen, they might get an extra call or two. Or Bill Self being a great end-of-game coach uh, or being able to draw up a play in a close game. All, I mean, all these things, you can add these little tiny things together. Maybe there's a little bit of a psychological edge when a team has won 10 in a row or 11 in a row or 12 in a row or, or whatever the case may be. But whatever that is, KU seems to win more close games than you would expect, and that always seems kind of end up in the final projection number. Real quick, looking at the Big 12 up and down, uh, I, I know one thing that's interesting, uh, West Virginia had of Kansas State. I don't think that's something that many people would say. And then I think most people would have TCU as fourth, uh, and they're down at sixth there. You have uh, Kansas, West Virginia, K-State, Texas, then Iowa State. Texas Tech, um, TCU seventh, so TCU down at seven. Uh, just a quick look at the Big 12. Anything stand out to you, Ken, or anything surprise you when the numbers popped out? Uh, you know, not too much. I mean, so the, the deal with West Virginia is, you know, uh, like Kansas, they have a, an amazing baseline. Like, you know, they might have the fourth or fifth best baseline in the country in terms of their performance over the last three years. So, you know, even though they're replacing some guys and, and they obviously don't have, like, the, the big-time recruiting class, like, there's a pretty good track record there of them being good. And uh, the computer's going to going to give a team like that the benefit of the doubt when they're, you know, a Big 12 team especially and they're, you know, not changing their coach. And, you know, they do have, you know, a few guys coming back. So, uh, so that's part of the reason that they're ahead of Kansas State who had, you know, a lot more room to basically make up even though Kansas State brings back almost its entire roster. Like their baseline is much lower. And so, um, so that's the reason for, for uh, you know, that um, kind of flip-flop there. Um, but you know the rest of it. You know, obviously Iowa State a little surprised. You know, the 25th, and that seems like way higher than a lot of people have them. Um, but overall, you know, once you get past the the top four or so, when you get to that Iowa State, Texas Tech, TCU area, like those teams are are pretty similarly rated. And so, you know, the computer is uh, basically saying any of those teams could be, you know, could be a tournament team, or they they could could drop out. Um, I guess like one other point I want to make that, that I think is really instructive is that even though it says West Virginia is predicted for 11 and seven, 
like that's a different statement than the second place team is going to be eleven and seven. Like True. if we were doing something like that, you know, we obviously would say that the second place team would you know be thirteen and five or something like that or twelve and six, whatever it usually is. Um, so it's just saying, hey, specifically West Virginia is going to be eleven and seven, and they you know that's basically because they could you know they could finish fifth or sixth. Like they're rated at a, at a point where you know they could easily be second or they could be sixth, and they're going to be sixth. They're going to you know obviously be worse than eleven and seven. So again, it's just an over under for that team basically, and not saying. You know, the second place team will be eleven and seven. Yeah, well, it's kind of like you talked about, or we talked about earlier, kind of a range of outcomes thing. Um, that's probably the most likely outcome based on your numbers, but yeah, could be uh, twelve and six, could be thirteen and five, and and like you said, some of those other teams that are below them. If you win a close game, if you get a basket here, if you have a guy emerge, then uh, you could find yourself two or three games better, or two or three games worse on the other end, just depending on on how the ball bounces. But uh, you're also right; you also could see some separation just based on things happen. We saw Texas Tech briefly do that last year before uh, you know a late injury to Keenan Evans, but uh, but yeah, still having said all that, it's seems like uh, Kansas the favorite. Kansas a significant favorite, and maybe even more of a favorite this year than some years past when we looked at it in the preseason and said, uh, they, they got some work to do. At least they have a few challengers there. I, I think this one would be a real surprise if Kansas didn't win it. And I, I don't feel like I always feel that way or that the numbers always speak to that early in, you know, this early in the season, but uh, this might be one of those years where, where Bill Self just has a team that is deep enough, talented enough, that uh, I think it really would be a, a huge surprise if someone seriously challenged Kansas in this league. Yeah, there's no doubt. There's been like previous years where you'll see previews and people will be like, yeah, I just I got to pick Kansas, you know, and there's not really a lot of like great reasoning behind it. But this year, like you legitimately look at the rosters and, and the talent among the teams. And I think even if you just took the names off the jerseys, you'd still, you know, ultimately pick Kansas to, to win a title. Hey, it's Blair Kirkhoff, and if you're listening to this, you love Kansas City sports, whether it's the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting, Mizzou, KU, or K-State, and no one covers these teams like the Kansas City Star. If you currently subscribe to the paper or have a digital subscription, thank you for your support. And if you don't, here's a great offer. It's called Sports Pass, unlimited digital access to every sports story and video on KansasCity.com. And it's just $30 for the first year. It's the best sports value in town. Just eight cents a day or two fifty a month. You can't beat that. Subscribe now at KansasCity.com slash sportspass. Okay. Let's get into this again. So when you come up with these, you kinda of have an idea what's happening out. So at some point, you know, I'm just envisioning you going through all these databases and everything, and then you click enter and it gives you a, a list of numbers and you're scrolling through. And then this is this is totally you know fictional, obviously. But when you get that first look at numbers and you see this final list, give me a couple schools, either high or low, that made you go, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe that," or "Oh my gosh, I'm gonna hear from that fan base." I guess what were the surprises when you first saw this list? <laughs> uh, so I, I think you know when I first ran this, uh, you know, really I started running it like at the end of March, and uh, you know, obviously there's some some changes that happened to rosters over time. But, uh, you know, the first thing that surprised me, I guess, was most surprising was Syracuse being number eight. Now, since then, it seems like people, like, pollsters have come and kind of come around to, like, Syracuse being really good this year. But at least when I first saw it, it, it seemed like, the, you know, they'd be like a borderline top 25 team. And uh, um, eight was a, a little bit lofty. And, and that was probably the one that, 
that jumped out at me. Um, you know, certainly the I think the difference in the SEC, um, just in general, like you know, uh, having Kentucky at seven and Tennessee uh, and Auburn uh, outside the top ten is um, you know generally lower than than public perception. It's not completely out of line, but uh, you know, those are some issues. Like Clemson at fourteen, like I don't you know think people probably uh would balk at that um but i mean overall like i'm one that does kind of get easily uh horrified by by stuff my computer spits out you know <laughs> yeah like i'm kind of my my own harshest critic at times but i wasn't i was pretty happy basically with uh with how the the top 25 looked. there's some you know some weird teams at the end of the top 25 maybe but overall i felt like it was you know pretty reasonable uh any changes this year? I know you're constantly tweaking, or at least you're looking into the data and trying to to look back and try to always improve. Is there anything major this year with the rankings that, that you tried to to change up to make it better, or, or were things last year pretty good and you decided to kind of roll with it again? Yeah, I, I thought I thought they were pretty good. You know, um, obviously the the big transition would be to you know to go to like a a completely player based system, and I guess I'm just not convinced that that's like there's a lot of gain to be had there. So the effort uh, required to, uh, to do that, I think is uh, um, a little much uh, for the potential reward involved. So, you know, we already got, you know, Bart Torvik out there who basically does the, the player base ratings at this point, Dan Hanner, I guess, threw in the towel, but uh, um, you know, I'll just stick to, to kind of my hybrid model of, you know, some, some player information and, and some team information. And uh, you know, overall, I think it's a, it's a good enough starting point. It's going to miss teams that, you know, so because there's so much inertia involved, like it's going to miss teams that could change a lot in a year. And I, there's not, there aren't many that do that. Uh, but there's a few like Western Kentucky last year was a good example where, you know, they didn't have a the great baseline and they had a bunch of good players, but none that were like, you know, nationally known impact players, no top 50 recruits, no big time transfers. And so their computer, their initial rating was, you know, much lower than it probably should have been. But to me, there's like one or two, maybe three teams like that every year. And, you know, the effort necessary to, to fix that uh, probably would create three or four or five or six other like big outliers. And so uh, so I'm pretty cautious at this point about, you know, making significant changes. All right. Well, Ken, we uh, I wanted to get back to, to some of the things I talked about. The one thing. I think that should be of grave concern to KU fans. I went ahead and clicked on the committed users button, uh, the link on your website. Uh, people can look up the most popular teams because uh, once you sign up for KenPalm.com, you can say, hey, I'm a fan of Kansas or Kansas State or whoever. And it's been a long time running that Kansas has uh, Kansas fans have sort of dominated this sort of aspect. They've been number one on your list. But I looked, and Kansas fans are number one at 4.9%, which is good. Virginia, 4.8%. Um, so uh, it's not really a huge surprise that Cavs fans are a fan of the tempo-free stats. I don't think at all uh, <laughs> that would make their, uh, you know, would make their fan base very happy to look at those stats and say, "Hey, it's very efficient, even with a slower pace." But uh, I, I think Kansas fans are, uh, it's their lead is being cut. So I, I think that this may be the closest it's been in a while. Is that right? Yeah, I actually have a, a secret for you here, Jesse. But. Uh... Virginia actually was number one briefly, like sometime between like last selection Sunday and that first weekend of the tournament, Virginia did overtake Kansas. And I, I never really got the opportunity to make a big deal out of it for obvious reasons. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know why. Shortly, shortly after that first weekend, Kansas retook the lead and, and as, as you know, maintained that slim edge uh, throughout the off season. But, uh, 
but yeah, Virginia's Virginia's close behind. If they have another uh, solid season this year, uh, you know there could be a change at the top. We'll have to see. All right. Well, uh, against uh, twenty bucks a year, you haven't charged me yet this year. You got me on auto pay, but twenty bucks a year for, for the year on, on KenPalm.com is that still right? That's correct. Yeah, that's the same as it's always been. Uh, so uh, yeah, hopefully, I think you know there's there's more stuff than there used to be. So I think it's a better value than it was uh, last year or the year before. So uh, yeah. Well, let's get to that real quick. I know you're uh, one of the big things on the site, and you really can't miss it. It's on the top bar, and uh, I've been playing around with it a little bit. Is the D1 Universe? Can you just speak briefly to to what people can get with the D1 Universe and kind of the the, the tool that it is for for people that want to get a quick glance at some numbers? Yeah. It's, so you know, you go to my uh, my homepage and you see this like table of of numbers, and it's fine. Like I, you know, my entire site is table of numbers, and that's what it was built on, and it's great. <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, but I, basically, the D1 universe is like this graphical interface that kind of shows the entire, you know, all 353 teams this season, but whatever it is for previous seasons, uh, shows those teams kind of where they are, you know, ranked essentially, like in one view, like their offense and their defense. It's, it's hard to explain because it's a visual uh, application, but you can basically just like mouse over categories and see where everybody's ranked in certain categories or what their value was. And you can, you know, filter by conference and, and see kind of how the conferences are rated relative to each other. I think it's like just way more insightful than looking at a table of numbers in terms of getting an idea of, you know, where's this team rank or in this, you know, in the case of the preseason ratings this year, just getting a visual on like how far Kansas is ahead of the rest of the country right now. Like you can, you can just see that. And, uh, and so, uh, so that's kind of my, my new baby. And uh, I'm going to try to hopefully build some, uh, build some things like that. Uh, you know, just, just to give people a, an easier way to consume more information. Yeah, I mean, nobody can see me doing this, but basically I can put my pinky between Kansas and Duke here uh, <laughs> on the D1 universe when it comes to the adjusted efficiency margin. And I think if I put my pinky down again, it would be Duke and the number 13 team, which is, let's see, who's number 13 this year? Michigan State. So uh, that just tells you how far KU is ahead of the pack when it comes to uh, right now and kind of speaks to exactly what you're talking about. If KU loses Michigan State, they have built up enough lead in the Ken Palm measure that they are not likely to move down. So yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a good quick look at uh, numbers and, and gives you a better idea that, hey, the difference between one and two, there actually is a difference. It's not just one, two, three, four, five, and and all those teams are separated equally. So uh, that's something you get on the site. Uh, I also want to talk about uh, your podcast that you started up this summer. Uh, can you tell me about it and what was the idea for for starting it and why did you decide to uh, to get started there with Griffin? Yeah, so I'm co-hosting a podcast with uh, with Griffin Adams, who's uh, an editor at the Athletic, and. Uh, um, you know, basically, it's just uh, kind of another outlet for me to, for me to get uh, some ideas out there. You know, there's some things like that are just not easily like meant for uh, writing a piece. You know, writing an article, and there's some things that are just you need more time than Twitter. You know, kind of gives you. Uh, so it's basically kind of an outlet for uh, for those kind of ideas, just kind of riffing on what's going on in the game, and just you know, various things either analytically related or not. You know, obviously, we're going to kind of skew towards talking about the numbers but we're going to talk about hopefully talk about them in more human terms kind of like you do jesse so um so that was basically the idea behind it and uh hopefully uh, at some point during the season we can uh, we can get you on once we once we figure out how to uh, reliably have guests on the show you're definitely going to be uh on our target list. Oh, sounds fun. Well, I'd, I'd love to be on, and I, I've loved it because I felt your pain. You were talking a really interesting conversation. You were talking about uh, one time where if a team only made like two threes or two twos in the first half, how likely would it be for them to win? And I felt your pain because so many times I'm sitting at my computer and thinking, I've got this great idea for a story. I'm going to do, do all this research, and it takes an hour, and I look everything up, 
and then the number I find is like not that interesting. You know what I mean? And so I was just like, oh, I'm feeling Ken's pain here because you were the same way. I, I think uh, I don't remember the exact say, but it was something like if a team made uh, two two-point field goals in the first half, they still won the game. You know, they still went like eight and forty-one or something. And you're like, wow, that's really disappointing. I thought they would all lose <laughs> the games, but uh, I, I could definitely feel your pain there. And, and that is what a podcast is good for. You can still give those numbers and 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 surprise Griffin with the numbers, even though uh, you know at least your work is being rewarded to to look all that stuff up and not being wasted like it is uh, so often with me and my computer yeah yeah so that, you know that that rose out of umbc the umbc virginia game where umbc had made two two pointers in the in the first half and i thought man like nobody wins doing that and as it turns <laughs> out like you know, a third of the time a team wins or something like that it was kind of crazy so uh yeah so uh anyway that was that was fun and uh, yeah it's kind of what you know what the podcast is about it's not necessarily uh, the deepest subject matter but just you know just some some fun stuff that we come across and uh there's always going to be uh a lot of that once the season gets started. The only thing that killed me, Ken, was uh, your guys disagreeing with the Elam ending. Uh, that is, I am, I am hashtag love Elam ending over here. So uh, I, I, I can hear your arguments. I, I can understand it. But, man, I, I am ready for those end of games to go a little bit faster. And college basketball is not afraid to be different, that's for sure, uh, with the two halves and everything. But uh, I hear your point on uh, nothing being better than a buzzer beater. But I, I do like the uh, the end of game the only thing I can say about this, every every game with a game-winning shot, I could see, I could definitely see a path where journalists like me would want to write about the game-winning shot like 95% of the time. You know what I mean? Like, like, <laughs> like, like, wouldn't that just be the inkling to be like, oh, they won by four. Let's write about the game-winning shot when, you know, the other 65 possessions were pretty important too. I could just, I could see that happening, but I, I still could see uh, some positives from the eliminating. We'll see how far it goes, but I know you and Griffin talked about that and, and not being completely sold on that, which, again, it's good to get voices out there because, uh, you know, I, I don't like to uh, only hear myself talk about these things, but I, I could definitely see it speeding up the end of games. There's got to be something done there just because of uh, the fouling that goes on. Maybe there's nothing to be done. I don't know, uh, but that, that just seems to me to be a, a big problem. Maybe it's a bigger problem in person than it is on television. No, no. I mean, it's. I mean, obviously, when you're at home, you can change the channel, I guess. But it's. Uh, I'm with you on that. Like, I do think the end game is is broken to some extent, and I'm totally open to like experimenting with different things. And I'm glad like the Elam ending did get experimented with in the basketball tournament. I hope to keep using it. Like, I think uh, it's it's great to kind of see how it plays out. But uh, I was I was hoping it would. I was hoping I'd be won over by it, and I just, <laughs> just couldn't do it, Jesse. I cannot pull the trigger. I think there's got to be a, a different way. But I, I applaud like you know the innovation, and uh, and I enjoyed you know enjoyed the experimentation. I loved you know tinkering with the rules, so uh, it was worth a try. But uh, I think there's got to be some other way to do it. We'll, we'll we'll agree to disagree on this one. It never happens, but we're we're gonna agree to disagree on this one, Ken. Uh, just because uh, you know I, I've I've written too many positive things about Elam on, on Twitter to go delete them all. So it's it's too far <laughs> down, it's too far down the road with that one. I want to get your your thoughts on just some some big topics uh, going into the season. Any big picture things that you're looking at this year? Anything that interests you just from a an overall college basketball perspective? Well, I mean, I think, you know, in the beginning of the season, I'm always interested to see what happens uh, just like in the big picture of college basketball in terms of statistical trends, how the game is played. We've obviously seen, uh, you know, in the NBA, the opening week where scores have just been outrageously high. Uh, you know, they obviously have a, a different thing going on there with the officiating kind of cracking down on, on freedom of movement. And that's partly fueled it, but it seems like teams are just more willing to play at a faster pace as well. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if, you know college mirrors that or not so you know certainly early in the season seeing how how that plays out um 
you know, I'm always worried about officials kind of being lax in the college game and it, it getting back to being more of a physical grind. Uh, we've obviously made a lot of progress getting away from that the last few years. So um, hopefully that continues and hopefully we can see, you know, the kind of shooting that we're seeing in the NBA and kind of playmaking. And uh, I'm, I'm all in favor of, of higher scoring games provided, you know, it's not because the defense is a farce, but because it's just players are, are better at, at making plays. And uh, uh, if that's the case, that'll be a lot of fun. So, you know, that's, you know, the first like, three, four, five days of the season. Like I'm that's what I'm always looking forward to is running those numbers and seeing how how those numbers compare to the first five days of the season last year or the year before and, and seeing how things are shaking out. You know, I, I'm a little fascinated and maybe this is just me being there in the moment for this game, but what Villanova did against Kansas and shooting so many threes, I mean they did it all season and they've been doing it for multiple years. But just to do it on such a big stage and be so successful with it, I know the three pointers have increased the past few years. But it just makes me wonder. You know what I mean? I've been reading stuff on Twitter about how Villanova in one of their secret scrimmages or whatever, they fired like 70% threes. You know, I, it, just, it, just, it just makes me wonder, like, if, if we still haven't reached that breaking point with threes just because Villanova – I mean, I know Villanova is kind of their own beast and Jay Wright has it rolling out there and they've got the certain players to do it, all that stuff. But uh, I, I just think that it seems like more and more and more that teams might just be open to this because – that the team that has the highest success in college basketball, they're bound to get copied. It seems like that that's always the case. Yeah, I and mean, last year was a little weird because uh, normally the very best teams in the country are not that three-point dependent. Um, so uh, Villanova was different, and I, I'm not convinced that they're going to necessarily set a trend. But as you say, uh, that game against Kansas certainly, I think, turned some heads, not just the way it happened, but just how Villanova was seemingly so brazen about launching early shots in the shot clock. And that's what we're seeing in the NBA, too. And, you know, when you, when you run analyses on on shot selection and, uh, you know, when they occur in the shot clock, like, invariably you find uh, that passing up open threes early in the shot clock is a bad idea. Like, you are not going to get the value out of, out of the possession that you think you are. Uh, and Villanova, I think, realized that last year. I mean, they obviously had the players to, that uh, allow that to happen. But... Um, as more coaches, I think, become open to that, uh, you know, hopefully we do see uh, we do see the pace of the game increase just based on that fact alone. I mean, it's just, it's it's better basketball, you know, passing up that open early open three, leading to you know some other kind of tough mid range two at the end of the shot clock is uh, not that that always happens, but it happens a lot more than uh, than I think people realize. I'm telling you, Ken, uh, one team that played more that way is Kansas uh you saw them against Duke rushing down the court shooting up early transition threes didn't make many of them but they figured that was a good shot against an unset defense and uh I'm 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 convinced Kansas for one is is one of those teams that uh you look at their three-point rate recently I mean it has changed it, it this has changed college basketball uh you know people getting more in tune with the advanced the athletics the numbers and um, I'm not sure it's even just an, a college basketball thing. I think it started to filter from the NBA a little bit. And if I'm being honest, uh, as we're talking right now, that the Dodgers and the I'm uh, not the Astros, the Dodgers and the Red Sox are in the World Series. And you look at the final four teams in baseball, and all of them are, are pretty analytically minded and, and savvy. And um, just last night on Monday Night Football, uh, you saw a team, uh, the Giants. They went for two, down 14 points after they scored a touchdown. Uh, and everybody's wondering what are they doing, and the numbers make sense with it. So uh, I think it is kind of 
crazy. It, it seems like it's accelerated to me, at least over the last five years or so in almost all sports and almost all areas. It's almost that teams are realizing that if you don't do it, you're going to get left behind. And uh, I, I guess I'll ask you, do you think it's been more accelerated lately or, or is this maybe something that I'm just trying to pick up on uh, because I, I, I've seen a little bit more or, or maybe it's just uh, my own bias showing through that I, I think that this has kind of picked up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, certainly like in baseball, I would agree. And I guess in football, I mean, that two point thing is, uh, you know, it's only it's only happened twice this year that, that somebody's uh, <laughs> that's true gone for two in that situation. But the, in the previous history of the NFL, it only happened twice. So so that's progress. Um, I don't know, like, I guess I need another year to see if, if you know what happens in in college basketball, but certainly at the professional level. You know, you're seeing like rapidly just like teams, uh, you know, avoid taking the mid-range shot, designing offenses that, you know, get you threes or get you stuff at the rim. And uh, I mean, it's not like, you know, people think like the nerds are taking over the game, but I just it's not to me, it's not very nerdy. You just do an analysis and you find the times where guys took an open three early in the shot clock and see how many points they scored. And you find times where guys passed up a three open three early in the shot clock and see how much they scored. And uh, you're going to find out that the the former scores more points than the latter. It's not like you know, high level math or anything like that. It's just like, you know, detailed analysis that, uh, that hadn't been done in the past for whatever reason. Yeah. It'll be fascinating to watch too, because there's different ways to win. And just two years ago, we saw a North Carolina team that shoots a lot of mid range shots. They just filled up possessions, you know, they don't turn it over and they get a bunch of offensive rebounds. And I could see Kansas following a similar formula this year with, you know, the Dieter Glosson types where you just shoot some mid range, but if you get so many possessions, you get so many extra, you know, extra possessions and don't turn it over. You can make that successful as well. So it is kind of fascinating to see all these teams on different levels. Uh, real quick before you go, Ken, I have to ask you, more people from teams contacting you, uh, fewer? How does that work out? Do you still consult for teams? How does that all work? Uh, how many teams or, or do a lot of people reach out to you during the course of a season? Yeah, you know, uh, once the season gets started, uh, yeah, I have people reach out. But it's really like this time of year, you know, when people are, are contacting me and, and bouncing ideas off me. Um, the, the consulting is pretty much like on an informal basis at this point. Uh, you know, just like any sort of like formal consulting just takes up a lot of time. And, uh, and so it's difficult to kind of get into that with uh, specific teams. But, um, but yeah, certainly like the informal consulting, you know, we talked to a dozen, two dozen coaches in the past couple of months. And, uh, um, you know, those are always interesting conversations. Like I feel like I usually learn more than, than the coach talking to me does. <laughs> But yeah, it's a great time of year. And then you know, I, I mean, I get out to the the practices for the for the local teams here. So it's you know another another form of interaction, kind of force myself on people. So uh, so yeah, so it's a good time of year. We've got all like kind of one last time to catch our breath before the the sprint starts. All right, before I let you go, Ken, one bold prediction, one bold proclamation, or uh, one thing you would like the average college basketball fan to know as uh, they enter the 2018-2019 season. Uh, is that like one? Is is are those one of each thing? Or, oh no, or? you can do you can do whatever. I'm I'm giving you the final word on this one. <laughs> uh, my bold prediction, man. Uh, I, I uh, I'm caught a little bit off guard here, um, but uh, I will go with what's my bold prediction, Jesse? Give me give me how, give me some. How me about some how, how about this? If you could have college basketball fans know one thing about the game or your site or how it's played or the numbers, what would what would you tell them? I mean, the game is, like, better than it's ever been. There you I go. I feel like, yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, I always talk about that. So if people have heard me talk about it before, then they've, they've heard that. But I do also feel like the mainstream convention, you know, 
depending, I guess, on the age of the person you're talking to, it feels like, uh, you know, people think kids don't know the fundamentals or <laughs> out there showboating or this or that. And it's like they can't make a free throw or they, you know, they can't make three point shots, not enough shooters. You know, it's like you look at the numbers, man. It's like shooting is better than it's ever been. Like it's just better than it's ever been. Turnovers are lo- fewer than they've ever been. Uh, I mean, you name it, whatever like aspect of the game you think would represent poor basketball is like better than it's ever been. So uh, there you go. These guys are really good is what you're saying. I mean, they, they are. They're, they're really, really good, especially when it comes to shooting. And uh, as you've shown over the years, the free throw percentages keep going up and up. And then the three-pointers, even though the volume goes up, the percentage goes up. And that's why I think we'll go to the FIBA line here pretty soon in college basketball because these guys are getting too good. you got to move the line back probably. Yes, please move the line back. Yeah, I mean, I would like be in favor of moving it back to the NBA line, honestly. Like when you see the kids that they go to the NBA and there's like, you know, countless examples of guys who don't shoot the three much in college and they go to the NBA and, you know, as rookies, they're shooting threes or, you know, certainly in their second or third year. It's like, you know, these kids can easily make that transition. And I do think like shooting the three point shot should be a special skill. Like I, I don't think every team should have five three-point shooters. Like it just shouldn't be that easy to acquire good shooting. And so uh, moving it back would would make the you know the skill more special. And for the teams that do have those skills, it would create just like tremendous spacing, and their offense would would benefit from it. So anyway, there's my my pitch for for moving the three-point line back. But I'd, I'd settle for the FIBA line certainly. Until then, Villanova will just keep hitching up 65% threes. Uh, maybe now <laughs> until then, we will see what happens. Uh, well, thanks Ken for joining me and again. Uh, KenPalm.com, twenty bucks gets you. Uh, the whole site for the year check that out and then the ken palm podcast uh available online itunes it's great uh, uh ken and griffin starting that up and i'm sure there'll be more episodes coming out as the seasons goes on and as there's more to talk about ken as as you know it's it's much better when there's numbers and games and things to talk about so uh looking forward to that so appreciate your time ken thanks for joining us and uh good luck this season to uh with with going over the numbers and uh hopefully for your sake uh, i will say this uh ku at least beats michigan state so you can have the right number one team for at least a week appreciate that jesse that'll be the only game this year that i'm actually rooting for a winner (laughs) (laughs) all right ken appreciate your time (laughs) thanks thanks again to everyone for checking out the sports kc podcast be sure to tune in for another episode next week